Hi there, and thanks for listening to Shim Satira's very first podcast series, Sounds Like Folk. My name is Joanne Barry, and I'm the Repertory Director with the National Folk Theatre at Shim Satira. My involvement with Shimsa began as a nine-year-old child and I've been working with the company as a performer, teacher and all-round folky for the last 15 years. Despite the current restrictions, the creative impulse to swap our stories and engage with our audiences remains. I hope you enjoy this new way of Bohan Thiacht, or gathering together, allowing a window into Shimsa Tira, which itself was born from a coming together of like-minded people a place where ideas and stories are celebrated. Today's guest is Ruth Smith, an accomplished musician, presenter and collaborator and a new friend of Shimsa. Enjoy the chat. Hi Ruth. Hello Joanne. How are you? (laughs) I'm very well. I'm very well. Lovely to be chatting to you. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's great to have you here. Ruth is um, a new friend, we will call you, of Shimsa Tira. And uh, maybe you might just um, have a quick chat about yourself, if that's okay. Yeah, I'm originally from Galway, um, from Portumna in East Galway. I'm now living in just outside Fecal in East Clare. Um, And I suppose in the 41 years of going from Portumna all the way to, to in East Galway to East Clare, there's been there's been lots of twists and turns. Career-wise, I suppose music and the arts were always on the cards for me, um, despite having a love of veterinary. My dad was a vet um, and I was fascinated by it. So I used to go out and calls with him the whole time. Um, and he he actively uh, encouraged me to stay away from it. And I suppose he was a large animal vet and he just didn't see any, any future to that for me. But uh, we grew up in a family pub on the main street. And that was just all consuming really we lived over it and worked in it and from as young as I can remember um life was a bit of a stage you know you had to if you were at the corner of the table closest to the bar door that's you were the person to go out and serve um even if you're eating your dinner so yeah I think uh, from a young age I learned to I suppose put on that public face in a way um living in a public house mm. there was lots of music and that was encouraged by my my both my parents my mother played the fiddle and she was a very good fiddle player and um, we had sessions every Tuesday night lots of local musicians from from the locality but also like you know Portumna is on the Shannon it's on the the where the, the Shannon meets Loch Derg. So you're there with North Tip and Offaly and close to Clare as well. So a lot of musicians would have traveled. Um, and I think from a young age, you get exposed to that, just that kind of joy of music and song and story, you know, and it being in your home, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 11, I got a, a distinction in my grade four piano and <laughs> little did I know what was going to happen after that. But I got called to the Royal Irish Academy in Dublin, this little country bumpkin, I'll never forget the fear going, going, going up to Dublin, as you know, my mother would say, going up to Dublin from Galway. But um, yeah, I went up and did an assessment with um, Deirdre Doyle and I ended up working with her for a year and then and they did, did my entrance scholarship exam and got it. So that just changed the landscape of life for this little 11 year old, you know, yeah. um, middle of the family, bit of a lost soul, I think, um, really found refuge in poetry and music and all of those things. So 
I, I used to take a Wednesday off school to go to Dublin and that sure that totally threw the cat among the pigeons because I didn't do my homework then on Tuesday nights, you know, because I knew I was off school on Wednesday and it was a very different experience of school in a way. But I got through and academically was all right and then went on to study um, music, drama and theatre studies in Trinity and continued my music education in the academy as well. And there was a bit of a fork in the road at that point, actually even just going back a little bit further. Um, I remember being told in the academy, this is before things got a little bit softer around the idea of music genres and, you know, uh, cross-discipline musicians. And I was told by my teacher, you know, that playing trad would deaden my musical ear. And that had a big effect on me, even though I came from a family that music was all around me, you know, traditional music, folk music. Um, and I didn't see where I could merge the two. So for, for a while, I kind of went down that road of, you know, studying classical music and and there was something missing for me. There was a big piece missing. Mm -hmm. And I think that piece was in the world of classical music. There's a hierarchy of perfection, you know, um, and despite knowing so many musicians, you know, trad and folk musicians who are virtuosic beyond like to a cosmic level, mm -hmm. it's not the same. There's there's something. There's something more inviting, forgiving, accepting of a whole range of musical and artistic offerings in the world of folk and trad, mm -hmm. um, which is what I love. And that was definitely missing for me. And I found my college experience quite sterile in a way. And, and that was what really made me that kind of dissatisfaction, I think, made me go back in search of mm. what was missing. And it was certainly that those roots, you know, the folk and traditional roots. Yeah. Um, and I, I ended up majoring in drama and theatre studies as a result. You know, I dropped music in wow. my fourth year and that again kind of took me on a twist, you know, towards theatre performance, devising. Um, I loved dance. Um, so I kind of just wanted to be a multidisciplinary artist and go out and, you know, seek fame and fortune. And my father said, no, you're doing your HDIP as soon as you leave college. <laughs> so, um, so that's what I did. I did my HDIP and I started teaching music and English in schools and the bug never left me. Mm. So, yeah, um, I ended up doing a master's in trad performance in UL in 2007 and then took took a turn into the world of events management wow. I traveled the I traveled the world with the Volvo Ocean Race 2011 2012 as an events coordinator oh wow and that was mad that was that was proper like eyes open to the world um I ended up DJing at, at the race village you know when the boats were coming in and <laughs> you know do, doing announcements and I suppose that was a kind of a start for me with that you know that ultimately led me into presenting and broadcasting mm -hmm. as well um that yeah, was a grueling people, would, people would know you uh, probably from your uh, radio show and also from sort of recent um, appearances on RTE. So uh, your your radio show is Simply Folk, isn't that right? Correct. I should have probably started with that and then worked backwards. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Simply Folk. Yeah. Simply Folk's been running for nearly three years and it's on Sunday nights at 10 o'clock. And it's an hour of like, again, we're, I know we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it, but like folk music you know how do you define that and yeah. I know when we come around every year we've we've had three RT Radio 1 folk awards and and like when I look across the water to the BBC folk awards and it's everything from the pure drop of traditional 
instrumental yeah. performance right through to collaborations of music from all over the world what we would say world music one of the things that's kind of exciting about folk theater and kind of where we're at now because i feel like shim says at a, a kind of a crossroads or a kind of a a moment in that it's changing the world is changing and how how theater is received is changing how we think about our own roots and our own culture is is interesting at this point as well and i think people are looking more more locally at their own you know their own uh, areas and their own and what what's being brought to them from their own areas but i think sometimes maybe people think that folk the i don't know i'm as I, as you say I, i'm no expert either but i think that maybe people think that folk theatre is sort of more a, a, a tourist offering or something for people that are not from Ireland and it's not it doesn't get the reverence that it should maybe hmm. yeah um weren't we kind of taught in a way hmm. to not regard what was on our doorstep yeah. you know and I think that's a post-colonial thing as much as anything it's um this lockdown or these lockdowns that we've experienced, you know, the 5K, it's made us look literally under our noses to see what we value, where we live, who we have, like, you know, it's the it's the hidden gems in that five kilometer zone around yeah. us that we kind of miss out when we when we're constantly looking outside of ourselves as Irish people, which we've done for yeah. centuries in a way. Yeah. You know, are we OK? Is this OK in the context of arts culture politics whatever you want to yeah yeah have yourself but i i i think we're we're striding in a very brave way mm. um on, on all fronts you know we're not making perfect choices and and but who is decisions as as a country <laughs> yeah yeah but um so what, where was i getting to with that you were saying about <laughs> about, about folk but, maybe as an offering for tourists but maybe not something yeah you know i'm 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 uh i'm not prone to sort of whining about the situation or or um or or being negative about i suppose but it's i've worked for shimsa for a long time and it's it's like this observation that you know sometimes you notice that your audience is all american or your audience is all mm. german or if we tour in ireland it's a small audience um some yeah. of the time and i think that i was listening to um a podcast the other day um the abbey talks and it was I get the names right now it was uh, it was Annie Ryan Andrew Bennett and Marco Haller and they were talking about you know corn exchange and how it was set yeah. up and that Mark made the point you know that um that the literacy world is so revered you know that and obviously because we have this fantastic kind of body of writers and poets and all this but that there's space for you know other things like corn exchange or shimsa yeah. and these kind of ensemble offerings as opposed to just plays yeah yeah i've i've done a few of the corn exchange workshops the okay. comedia and again they're annie's incredible yeah. you know how she facilitates them and they're all about the collective they're all about you know the individual archetypes within it yes and all the play within that but you you've struck on it I think we are so in need of of collective experience and so much more so now after the year we've put in yeah. um and that collaborative approach again to go back to my experience you know in the classical world you know that hierarchy of you know who gets to the top 
And that's not what folk tradition is. And that's what not what folk theatre is and what folk music is. Yeah. Um, and maybe in this kind of sea change, because we are going through a folk revival, we're living through, you know, the last one was the 60s. And yeah. now we're in the middle of another one yeah. where people are starting to like the, the interest in the Irish language, you know, yeah. people learning traditional music. Um, it's it's almost like we've just woken up and remembered yeah. how rich all of this is that we're not looking to America to define us like we did in, in the 80s and the 90s. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're not we're not looking for outside cultural bodies to tell us that we're valid or worthy or, yeah. or OK. There's a real I think there's a real energy. There's such a momentum that perhaps, you know, if Shimsa was up and running and touring as normal this year, you would feel that and you'd feel that kind of response or yes. that two way street. Yes. So, yeah, you're right. It's an exciting time for for the theatre to be to be dark in a way because yes. you're able to germ, you know, plant all of these kind of intentions and seeds exactly. um, for where you yeah. want to bring the company and bring the and what kind of work you want to make as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very strange, I think, when you work in the arts. Um, well, for me to to stand still you're always sort of thinking about something or making something or teaching someone or you know you're you're busy thankfully we you know in mm-hmm. Chile, so we're busy a lot of the time and I think what that has done that stop and just just stop still for a second and just think right what is going on around me and what do I want what do I want to give back or connect or how do I connect with people the connectivity I think is a massive thing for me anyways because we don't, we sort of never really make work. We, we, we do individual projects, but we never make uh, bigger performances uh, on our own. There's yeah. always a devising period. There's always ensemble work. It's always sort of, you know, the four or five of us in the room together. So it's just the most bizarre thing to sort of be at home, but still want to feel connected to something like the National Folk Theatre. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned about the standing still um I think it kind of brings us perfectly to the Celtic wheel yes. idea you know um because I know that was that was one of our first meetings when I when I visited Shimsa and I met all of the core leaders and and Roisin um and that was something that we we stumbled on this this kind of perfect partnership of the Celtic wheel I'm just looking over my shoulder and yeah I can see, it. I see yeah. the wheel um <laughs> But like the Celtic calendar and Shimsa as a national theatre, as a national folk theatre, you know, because you said, like you said, this momentum and you're always on and you're always thinking of the next project and performing and performing. And it's not in our nature to want to be still. Um, but what we've just gone through is like the longest, I think the longest winter known to us. And the 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 wisdom within that in the Celtic calendar is that that's the richest part of the year. You know, yes. that winter when everything feels like it's fallow and dead and decaying and we never think we'll see the light again. And mm. that's why the solstice is such a an important moment where the light that even just that kind of delicate light that starts to grow again. Mm. And I interviewed Dolores Whelan, who was. So she was the person who really was the flame holder for Celtic wisdom in Ireland for a long time. You know, she wrote a book back in the 80s, I think, or. Um, ever ancient ever new mm. and it was through Mary Kennedy another wisdom sharer in the Celtic tradition that I 
that I encountered Dolores Whelan. And in interviewing Dolores um, last December, one of the things she said to me just really, really landed with me and it stayed with me. And she said, until we bottom out, we actually can't grow again. Like, so that's why the darkest point of winter is where life and growth and regeneration happens again. Um, and I think until we stand still, we can't actually know where we are. And a sense of place is so important in folklore and folk theatre and folk culture. Um, yeah, there's something very. There's an there's a discomfort in the fact that we've all had to stop and stand still. But I think there's something very aligned to what nature was telling us to do at that time, because if you think of the first lockdown as well, and I know we're, we're talking pandemic, but we're also talking the Celtic wheel and the agricultural wheel and then what it teaches us about how we create, because I don't think you can be in constant summer, even as a creative person or as a creative company. Mm. You know, there has to be moments where things feel like they're fallow. And, you know, the first lockdown in March and April, the weather, it was like utopia in a way, a weird, <laughs> it's a strange thing to say. It was like, you well, I felt quite utopian here because the weather was just perfect. And it's like, sure, this is amazing in a way, if this is all we have to do for this short time and then you know, we've had this kind of pause button. And then, of course, the reality of it all dawns on you. Yeah. Um, but going through this winter. If if we've gone against the discomfort of wanting to keep moving and wanting to keep producing because mm. we haven't been able to. I think there's going to be such a, a, a flood of creativity after this from people and from organizations because of that adapting kind of brain mindset mm -hmm. and I see it in in Shimsa as well like I see it in Yi from the first meeting that we had like there's been discomfort along the way and like well what do we do who are we where are we going yeah. uh, you know yeah. so there's all these big questions and then the tiny the tiny ones are the kind of the logistical ones the day-to-day -day. well how do we teach online how do we get you know the next influx of students if schools aren't open you know so there's a constant adapting I think that um, what we really connected with as well when you first sort of talked to us about the Celtic calendar was how how sort of how how obvious it was as well. You know how how it was sort of <laughs> why didn't we think of that? You know this sort of um, so uh, almost like a spiritual but very grounded sort of um, guide and 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 it's just it exists we don't have to do anything really we just have to sort of take the lead and 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 be guided by it and I think that that's a really really uh what's the word I'm looking for it's a it's a re we're in a really really privileged position where we can we can hmm. we know that that has connected to what folk is and we know that the company would be almost would, would do better or, or even grow more by following this idea. It's it's essentially it's a template. Like if you look at Ireland, could you say we're in a sort of a post-Christian society now? In a way you can because of multiculturalism and because of, you know, if we if we talk about this idea of music having borders and genres like, you know, humans having borders and genres um, or, or different races and, and creeds and whatnot. But like if you look at the template that was put on all of this agricultural um, mystical mm -hmm. wisdom mm -hmm. 
And like, so Bridget, for example, you know, uh, the triple goddess, St. Patrick, you know, I know he's 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 a, a new one brought in. But, yeah. you know, we look at the Kalyuch, um, the Hag of Winter, you know, how she has appeared through music and through dance and through folktale. And she, like, we all know all of these figures, mm. um, but we've never questioned maybe question the true roots of them or the ones that were there, you know, the historical ones, if you like, or where where yeah. all of this tradition and myth has come from. Yeah. So like it's nothing new to us. It's just, I suppose, it's how we engage with it now in what feels like a, a, a post-Christian, you yeah. know, where, yes, it's part of it. But. And so, th- again, we talk about discomfort. That's that's an uncomfortable kind of movement away from something that's been very structured and very formal within the Irish psyche um but I do think there's there's a real zeitgeist uh, you know where people are looking to this ancient wisdom for a sense of meaning it's it's almost like it's an anchor or a, a compass or you know for ritual for collaboration for collective joy sorrow um points in the season it just makes sense. It all makes sense. And to what extent, uh, Ruth, because I, I feel like we don't know each other that long, but I feel like you're quite um, kind of a spiritual kind of a person. But you're also, um, you know, you're a real sort of you're a doer and you're a maker and you're a, a thinker. And to what extent does all of that um, idea of Celtic calendar and Celtic mythology and Celtic folklore feed into work that, that you make yourself outside of collaborating with anyone? I think like a, one of the things I said at the very start was, you know, I, I felt like the outsider when I was young um, and that poetry mm. and kind of, I remember like my cat was my best friend. I was so sad. God help me, Joanne. Um, and I, and I, do have, I do have great friends from that time too. But I believed that like my cat could understand me, Judy, God help her. Like every time I'd come home from school, there was a period where, you know, I used to go down the back and I'd sit up on the tree in our, in our garden and bring the cat with me. And I felt like she was the only, who, only one who really got me, God help me, like true middle child. Yeah, same, um, same. I'm a middle child as well. <laughs> that's why we, that's why we're going to be best friends. Totally connected. <laughs> but, but I, so when I suppose when you talk about that, spiritual sort of awareness I don't know is talking to your cat <laughs> does that make you yeah. um, <laughs> I certainly felt I certainly felt very at home in in nature and um, maybe my yeah it's funny now I never I never drew these links together but like the veterinary thing with dad you know and being with animals and saving them and god um, my dad dad again trying to to make me not do veterinary he used to bring me to all the really disastrous calls like the ones where he had to put an animal down or you know where it was difficult and I remember he brought me to an accident site where a horse a pregnant mare a mare in foal had jumped out onto the road and a lorry had had hit her where is this conversation going Joanne um (laughs) but uh (laughs) I was probably about 10 ish and he had to put the mare down and I was thinking about the foal and what's going to happen and life and death and the cycle of life and, you know, and 
the guy who was in the lorry was really stressed and the farmer and the this and the that. And then on the way back, um, now my dad, I suppose he was always into amateur dramatics. Like he wasn't, he never played music. It ne- nothing like that ever came like naturally to him, but he was very interested in it. Yeah. And it started to rain and I was crying as we were driving home. And he said, would you look at the weather now? It's reflecting your feelings. Wow. <laughs> and he said, write a poem about this when you go home. Mm. And I did. I remember I, I wrote a poem called The Call. Um, where was I going with that? You you asked me about spiritual and how it informs my work. So, na- yeah, nature. And I think I've always been a little bit drawn to melancholy. And being OK with that, like I'm OK with the fact that Again, looking at the Celtic wisdom, it's okay for things to be dark and it's okay for things to to not be always on all the time. Yeah. Um, and I've learned that the hard way over over time to be really comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, I think as well, like myth. It's funny, I, I used to when I was younger as well, my name is Ruth Smith, but I used to say Ruth's myth <laughs> because myth and fairy tales and folk tales were and still are, I think, really powerful. And they they just they're like um, they're like cornerstones mm-hmm. to us and for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of these things were were hijacked by by larger institutional or patriarchal ideas mm-hmm. in order to control them or in order to to repurpose them. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something really powerful about the fact that people keep finding their way back to to the myths and the folk tales and the pish oigs and the you know yeah and I and I kind of get goosebumps even when I think about that you know so as a as a as a society as an as an island nation as a um you know how important music and story and song and dance has always been to us. Mm. We've never lost that wild sort of nature. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, that that's what excites me about where we are as a country now. Mm, lovely. Um, I just wanted to go back to something you said there about, you know, people coming back to something and connecting to something real, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, Shimsa has had such longevity as well, I think, because we've always been rooted in something quite 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 um quite real you know we always have always used the monic style of dance we've always stuck to mostly traditional singing we have a specific type of way of making theater that people do connect to even though you know we're not speaking in english or we're not giving them text or but it's because i always believe that that it's genuine and it's rooted in something Mm. real and there's a universality to it as well, mm-hmm. you know, because like we were saying, you know, world music, folk culture, exactly. regardless of whether people understand the language, joy is infectious as much as sorrow and, yes. you know, and all of those those themes and also ritual, you know, mm-hmm. ritual and cer- ceremony. Um, and so much of what you would do is based on that, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And that's where we find our pluck our ideas from and find our ideas absolutely yeah another thing um I suppose through our meeting and through your association with Shimsa is now you are part of the associate artist program yay Yay. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's, that's kind of um, a new kind of endeavor for us, I guess, but it was important to Seamus and I know it's, it's really important to Roisin, our executive director, that we, uh, while all this madness is going on, that we connect with artists outside of, of ourselves. Yeah, it's a real lifeline for people. I think, you know, any kind of bursary, any kind of um, financial support. Or, do you know what? As much as anything, I think it's having the routine for, for artists, you know, to have something to work towards. Like I love, I love projects. I love, I think that's why I'm very happy as a freelance yes. artist because I, I love the stages of project um, experience or management or, you know, the, the, the idea, the catalyst. Yeah. I, I find the middle bit a bit hard. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, I love the spark, the sparky bit, you know? Um, but so given artists, uh, a chance to have some routine in their day and their weeks and have something to work towards, I think is huge. And I, I think it's a, it's such a clever and it's a mutually beneficial system when you can kind of look at all these artists who have time now, who aren't gone, who aren't touring, who, you know, have possibly been germinating or percolating ideas that are just perfect for Shimsa. Yeah but they didn't have a platform for it. Um, so like I, I've, I know some of the artists that, that are on board already and some that we're hoping to, yeah. you're hoping to engage as well. And I mean, the range is just yeah. so exciting to yeah. see what they might, how they might interpret um, what folk theatre is, what folk music is, what, what folk culture is. Yeah, as Irish people, yeah. as people living in Ireland. Exactly. Some of the some of the connections we've made, I suppose, they're not obvious from the outside. But I think that's what's so great about it is that it's maybe it's someone that, as you say, is not abroad working or is not touring, and they're just at home in Ireland. But they would never ever have dreamed of making a connection with the National Folk Theatre. And then mm -hmm. you pick up the phone and talk to them. And it's like, okay, this is this this is obvious. This is great. This is yeah. uh, this is going to work. It puts Shimsa on the radar of a really vast um, selection of artists. And then that has a trickle, trickle down effect when their work is shown on different platforms and, and, you know, through Shimsa as well. And yeah, I, again, just to keep reminding people like Shimsa is the national folk theater, you know, and it's, it's got such a remit that to be utilized by not just artists, but also audience members as well. So, uh, Ruth, I wanted to ask if you were happy to share something um, from from your current uh, work or something that represents you or is or was part of a pivotal moment in your artistic life. Um, yeah, there's I think it, it draws a couple of strands together from what we've been talking about. Um, so and nicely as well, Alma Kelleher, who is Lux Alma, is one of your associate artists. And Alma and I, along with Ruth McGill, um, we've worked together a lot over the last 10 years uh, as the Evertides. Mm -hmm. And we always found it very easy to write together. And when we did sit down to write a lot of the themes of what we've been talking about, spirituality, the seasons, um the natural world they all kind of just merged into the the songwriting and I'd love to share a song called reasons for spring great and it's a song that we wrote I can't even remember the year but it's probably about five years ago now or six years ago and 
it feels like a little bit of a meditation in music. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like those days will come fresh bursts of light. You know, that that light will come. And if we just keep stepping on the stones of what's ahead of us, um, finger to pulse, hold. So like it's be still. Yeah. And I, and I find it a very soothing song to remember and to listen back to. And I suppose here we are, you know, this burgeoning spring is around us as well. And Lovely. yeah, the last the last sort of kind of hold of winter with the, the snow and the frost. Um, spring always comes. And yeah, it's it's a lovely song. I really I really treasure it. And I treasure the, the experience of having written it as well with Ruth and Alma. talking on Thursday uh, about the idea of folk and how sort of uh, it's you know so kind of current and and uh, I won't say I will say cool but you know we'll apologize for the word cool (laughs) 
it's cool. Uh, but I think that, you know, as a person who's sort of uh, come in from the outside now and, you know, you're kind of getting to know us all and and observing what the company, what the company's about to do and about to um, kind of expand on. What would be sort of a, a, your aspirations for for the National Folk Theatre as a new friend and also as an associate artist? My wish for Sheen Satira is that you can continue all of your grass, grassroots work, all of your NFT, your National Folk Theatre Academy, um, where you're educating local children in the style that is essentially, you know, it's the lifeblood of, of what you do. Mm-hmm. And whilst doing that, like really rooted in your locality, that you know, using the analogy of the analogy of the tree that Roisin loves, yeah. um, that you re- you you can really branch out. And I would love to see Shimsa having a stretch from as far as Donegal to Belfast to Louth to Wexford and Cork and all the way into the, the centre of the country as well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah that that you're your collaborations with other festivals or other arts centers. Um, you know, we, we look at the the other companies and the other institutions that have national national in their title, like the National Theatre, the Abbey Theatre, the National Concert Hall. Um, that Shimsa would find its place in the family of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, not only through the work that you produce, but also the as a sort of a two way street, the the attention that you get because of that work and then how that builds. Um, yeah, and I think that they're all. Kind of reciprocal as well, you know, the more people engage with you, the more associate artists understand what Shimsa is and who who Shimsa is in a way, you know, the kind of the the character of it as a as a national folk theatre, mm-hmm. that that conversation generates work that is is so rooted but so vital and um exciting as well that kind of tells us who we are you know shows us what modern modern ireland is with all of the layers with all of the the tradition and the pure drop and and the reverence as well for it you know that nothing has to be thrown out mm-hmm. and i think something i've i've encountered a lot as well you know you said the word cool that folk is cool but to people who really live breathe drink, sleep, eat, write, sing, folk. It has never gone out of fashion. And sometimes like I love the phrase, you know, teaching your granny to suck eggs. Um, (laughs) I kind of temper, you know, when you when you see eye rolling or, you know, the kind of the the innovators of folk tradition, um, if something doesn't innovate and change and and I suppose if it doesn't progress, it dies. You know, if we don't adapt, we don't survive. And that's the same with every every seed of of tradition. Um, so it's never gone out of fashion for a lot of people. But for some people, it's just a remembering. It's like this awakening. It's like a re re remembering. Yes. Of how special this is for us. Mm-hmm. And that's not to be scoffed at either. Mm-hmm. So I think there's space for both of those approaches. You know, the people who've left the light on, who've literally l- kept the torch alive. Mm-hmm. 
and the people who've gone away, who've tried everything else, who've who felt like there's something missing, you know, and they've come back to find that warmth at that hearth again. So there's space for all of those conversations that it's not a, it's not a case of one way being right and the other way being flighty or, you know, a passing trend, because the passing trend can add something to the to the still fire as well, you know, and keeps it going. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks, Ruth. Um, I think I'll uh, end on that thought. Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> and just to say thanks again so much for for chatting with me and, and being a part of this. And I look forward to, to uh, lots of collaboration in the future. Thanks a million, Joanne. Slán. Slán, slán. Thanks for listening to our podcast, which was edited by Tom Hannafin. You can follow today's guest, Ruth Smith, on Instagram at The Ruth Smith and on Facebook. Ruth's radio show, Simply Folk, is on RT Radio 1 on Sundays at 10pm and you can hear her sing as part of The Evertides. Check them out on Instagram and Facebook. For further information on Shem Satira, head over to our website, www.shemsatira.com. You will also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, bye bye.